0: Hey Al. Hey Barry. What's a rogue's favorite bagel topping? What? Well, he usually picks locks. It's time for Capell Duel. Hello everybody, and welcome back to Capell Duel. I'm Barry. And I'm Al. And we are a single player, co DM'd D 5e actual play podcast.
1: Previously on Compelled Duel. And do you expect us to lay down the lives of our people, to fix the problems of a foreign nation, on the word of a foreign diplomat that things will be different
0: if we do? Stormfolk lives are already at risk. Would you rather them be risked in the name of building a world where this sort of thing doesn't happen over and over and over again? Or would you just prefer them to be shoveled into the gaping maw of the next hungry tyrant?
1: You people are out of your fucking minds! My sailors are the people dying. We won't stop with us, but it's certainly us now. Okay, so with Leo and the captain both having rolled nat 20s to persuasion... The Conclave Chamber erupts
0: in chaos. Oh, well that wasn't what we wanted to have happen. When the mask comes off, he thinks he's still that scared little boy, running from a responsibility that he couldn't handle. She thinks that there's an answer to all of this and that she's going to be the one to find it. I don't know how much I believe in the first part, but... How can you look at her and not believe in the latter? Just a little bit trying, I just... I can't pin her down. Better men than you have tried, your highness. Enjoy your useless political posturing. Things are about to get a lot more entertaining. What's wrong? Those are all fleet ships. Did you call for reinforcements? They're all the ones we lost. Begs the question. Who's sailing them? And then the screams start... And as Defiance's ultimatum becomes reality, and the sack of Pearlport begins, you, your brother, and all of your young charges disappear into Pearlport, making your way to the Citadel. the situation around you is rapidly dissolving into absolute chaos. Yourself, your brother, Glasses, Lorelai, and you are booking it up from the docks of Pearlport as a horde of Australian pirates begins to overwhelm the city. Overhead, there is a huge boom of thunder and the storm that has been moving in over Pearlport begins to just open up the heavens and pour down the rain. The five of you are just sprinting as fast as you can, trying to act on the captain's order to get back to the Citadel and warn the Conclave. And now, as your DM, I am going to give you a choice. There are three ways that you can get back to the Citadel. And for any of the options that you can pick, I am going to be rolling a d20 to determine if something bad happens. Your first option is to take the back alleys and passageways that the captain led you to the citadel through the first time you went up there. That is going to take the longest time. It is going to be time consuming to get up there that way. But when I roll that d20, it is only going to be a 25% chance that something very bad happens. The second option is taking the main streets up through the city which is going to be faster, but when I roll that d20, there will be a 50% chance for something bad to happen. The third option is by taking the cable car that you saw when you came out of the citadel and started making your way back down to the docks. That will get you up there very quickly, but I will be rolling a d20 with a 75% chance that something really, really bad is going to happen. You are at the head of the pack right now, so this is your call. What would you like to do?
1: I, as a player, am inclined to take the second option, but Fee doesn't know that there's a 75% chance something bad's going to happen, and I have to play my character, so we're taking the cable car.
0: You grab Leo, motion the kids after you, and the five of you pile into this cable car that has been just abandoned at its station. Right inside the gates. Chaos is already erupting around you. You see pirates moving down through the streets, cutting down whoever crosses their path. You cram into this cable car. There is a small lever in what looks to be a little conductor's apartment in there. Are you going to go ahead and pull it?
1: Yeah, I'm going to pull the lever.
0: As you pull this lever, some sort of mechanism clicks above your head. It seems like it's being magically powered in some sort of way. And the cable car lurches forward and starts making upward progress over the mountain. As you move on, you get higher and higher up. Until this car is suspended off the ground, probably 50-60 feet up. Now I am going to roll that d20. And if I roll a 15 to a 20, nothing bad is going to happen. If I roll under that, things are about to get nasty. 13 you are suspended over the city making your way upwards you're about halfway up the mountain watching all of this carnage unfold beneath you and from the other side of the car you hear glasses go oh shite
1: i'm gonna try to see what glasses is looking at roll perception it's an 11
0: wasn't in a high DC, as you move across to the other side of this cable car, you look down, and on the ground, you see one of the pirates that has been running through the streets looking up at the cable car as it makes its progress up the hill. They raise their hand, and a bolt of fire appears in it. This person is a mage. And they shoot out the rope where the cable car is, and you all begin to fall. There is this lurching in your stomach as you all go into freefall in this cable car, and Glasses lets out a stream of Aquin cursing that you have a feeling would make Doc twist his ear off the side of his head if she were there to hear it. He just reaches down to his belt and, as a reaction, pulls out a gun? shoots it at the floor beneath your feet, and lets off a round, it is deafening inside this cable car, and you hear Lorelei scream. But Glasses' gun, because of his artificer stuff, is an arcane focus, and he is able to use his reaction to fire off a round to cast Featherfall on all of you. The cable car crashes into the ground still in freefall and just utterly falls apart around all of you, But right before you all hit bottom, you are stopped by this plane of magical force that keeps you upright and sits you down gently on your feet. You do not take any falling damage, but that was still pants-shittingly terrifying. And you are standing in the middle of a smaller square about halfway up through Pearlport, still on the main street. It seems like most of the violence has not reached you yet.
1: Is the mage that shot out the rope in the square with us?
0: No, they are quite a ways behind you. The momentum of the car was moving forward when it got knocked down off the cable, so you continued to fall forward for quite a ways. They're out of combat range. For a moment, it's just the five of you standing there. Glasses is still cursing and reloading his gun. Lorelei is trembling You screamed in a very undignified way as you went down and is looking a little bit embarrassed about that. And Leo's eyes are taking up roughly half of his face as he gets unsteadily to his feet.
1: All right, thank you, glasses. She kind of dusts herself off. No time to think about that. Everybody run.
0: You run forward into this square as you're moving up what you now see as a main road headed up toward the Citadel. You see houses scattered around you, carved into the stone. A couple more of those big, kind of featureless statues that you saw when you were out with Sabine at the fish market, standing guard over the square. And then, out ahead of you, you hear a snarl and a scream.
1: Okay, what's happening?
0: You have to move about 50 or 60 more feet down the road before you get there, but standing at the door of one of the houses lining this little road and tiny marketplace that's out in the square, you see another what appears to be Australian battle mage pirate watching over three ghouls as they claw their hideous, necrotized hands down along the wooden frame of this door, rip it off the hinges, and move into the house. There's another scream, and about five seconds later, you see the ghouls pull two Stormfolk out through the front door of this house. One is a taller, skinnier man with short red hair that flashes gold and green under the filtered moonlight through the storm clouds. And the other is a shorter woman with long, dark hair, very pregnant. It's Sabine's friend Mira that you met in the fish market. I am now going to need everybody to roll initiative.
1: I'm going to use one of my rerolls.
0: 25 Okay, Leo rolled A 24 You gets advantage on initiative Because barbarian things 19 Okay, ma'am Glasses rolls a fat negative one To initiative, so he got An 8 And Lorelai gets a plus 4 Which has her coming in with A 21 Our necromancer friend gets a plus 2 Well, they're not our friend and rolled a nat one, which means you guys get a surprise round. And the ghouls are going to roll as a group. They get a 21, but Lorelei has higher decks than them, so she'll be going before them. All right, here we go. So I'm gonna pull up our battle map. Fee, you are starting us off. What would you like to do? As a free action, I'm going to gesture at Glasses, Lorelei and you and yell,
1: get out of here! And I will roll Intimidate to make them get the fuck out
0: of here if you want. No, they all look sufficiently freaked by the situation and aren't feeling super confident after having fallen from a great height just now, so they're all going to use their turns to run off and hide. And then I'm going
1: to cast a 5th level Witch Bolt on our uh, necromancer friend. I rolled an eight, but because of my modifiers and the fact that my orb is a plus one spell focus, which I keep forgetting whenever we do combat, it's an 18.
0: That will hit, and I believe that will be 5d12 damage. It sure will be 5d12 damage. I'm going to
1: spend one sorcery point to do empowered spell, so I can reroll up to five of the damage dice. Hey, two... Hey! Three. Hey! <laughs> I just rerolled three of them and they all rerolled as 11s, I want to say for
0: posterity. So that's 48 lightning damage. Ouch. Necromancer didn't like that. And now we are down to Leo, who's actually going to be a cleric for once in his fucking life. He's going to move. 15 feet down the map into the middle of this tangle of ghouls who still have Mira and her husband in hand. And he's going to do a neat little trick called turn undead. All of the ghouls who get a big fat plus nothing to wisdom are going to make wisdom saving throws. And then we'll just see what happens next. It's a DC 16. Ghoul number one. Rolled a nat one. Fails. Ghoul number two. Rolled a 19. Saves. Ghoul number 3. Rolled a nat 20. Saves. So, Leo has enough cleric levels now that he's got this fun little thing called Destroy Undead, where if any undead creature fails its saving roll against his turn undead feature, if it's a challenge rating 1 or lower, it is instantly destroyed. So, the ghoul that's got Mira by the hair just evaporates into dust with a scream as he raises his knife and a blinding flash of light comes out of it. He laughs victoriously, HAHA! <laughs> and then he looks around and sees that the other two ghouls are still alive and right up on him and goes, uh-oh! Next up is Lorelai, who is using her action to hide, so she's going to roll Stealth. It's a 14, which is definitely high enough for her to be able to hide. She runs off behind a couple of broken crates on one side of the street and hunkers down. And now the ghouls are up, and because Leo was too fucking cocky and ran right down into the middle of them, the remaining two ghouls are both flanking him, so they're both going to get advantage to hit him. So first one is going to roll to hit with advantage. Doesn't hit. Second one's going to roll to hit with advantage. Doesn't hit. <laughs> Leo blasts this ghoul into oblivion, turns around to see the other ones still alive, goes Hup! and with roguelike grace darts out of the way of their gaping, salivating maws as they both try to take a bite out of him.
1: She very smugly goes, that's my brother. And doesn't do anything because it's not her turn.
0: Okay, and now we're down to you who is listening to people for once and going to try to hide. She moves 20 feet to hunker down beside a broken down cart and she's going to roll stealth. Nine, you is not able to hide. And glasses is running off in the same direction as her also going to try to hide. He gets negative one. A three! So you and Glasses are both just sticking way up over the back of this cart as they try to hunker down. They are very obviously still there. Up next in initiative would be the Necromancer, but he rolled a nat one, so he doesn't get to go this round. So we're back up with Fee, who still has concentration on that Witch Bolt.
1: Oh, you know I'm rolling another 5d12 automatic damage on this man. 39 damage.
0: Oh, he's dead. He's a scorch mark on the
1: pavement. He's gone. And then I'm going to do Quicken Spell to cast another Witch Bolt at one of the ghouls. Okay, roll to hit on that.
0: 19. That will absolutely hit. Uh, what level are you casting that at? I'm going to do it at third level just to be safe. Okay, that'll be 3d12 damage for me, please.
1: I'm going to go ahead and use Empowered Spell again so I can reroll some of this. 26 damage and i'm going to use my movement to run up to be within five feet of leo
0: okay and then we are back down to leo who is going to turn on the last remaining ghoul spin his knife around his finger cowboy style and try to stab it with an inflict wounds at third level 23 that's gonna hit absolutely so i'm gonna roll 5d10 damage
1: And can you do me a favor and add your sneak attack to that for me?
0: Sneak attack doesn't apply to spells. It only applies to melee weapon attacks. Yeah, normally. Why? Just go ahead and roll it for me. <laughs> okay. So I'll add a D6 to that, I guess. Plus sneak attack. Oh, six. So, adding my sneak attack, for whatever reason, that was 33 damage, the last ghoul is dead, and the combat is over.
1: Leo, as you twirl your knife around to cast this Inflict Wounds, it glows with this very familiar purple-silver light and pulses in a weird way that it doesn't usually do when you're casting spells with it. You watch as there is a kind of hazy shape of this purple silver light behind this ghoul. And as you cast your spell, it coalesces into the shape of a knife that matches Kimrel's blade and sinks into its back. And your magic item has leveled up.
0: Okay, yeah, well, the ghoul's dead. It drops to the ground dead with that damage that I just did to it. And Leo looks down at the knife. Blinks a couple times. Huh. Didn't know it could do that. (laughs) So the level
1: up on Kimrel's blade, in addition to what it normally does, which is lets you do max damage on a necromancy spell once per day. It now also lets you add sneak attack to a spell three times per long rest.
0: Ooh. (laughs) Nifty. (laughs) And with that, Leo smirks, fiddles with the purple stone on his bracer, and the knife disappears back into it. And he looks down at Mira and her husband, neither of whom he has met before, but that know you, Fi. Or at least Mira does. And nods up towards the Citadel and goes, You two might want to move. That way, shit's about to get extremely bad in the city. Mira looks up at you, Fi, because you're familiar, and goes... What the fuck is going on?
1: The grimaces. She goes, Uh, the Australian pirate fleet is in- invading the city through the docks. Sabine and the captain are down there handling it, but we are going to go and form the conclave and see what can be done about it on a more structural level. So I would suggest you move away from the docks. All right,
0: we've got to warn the neighbors. Adam, come on! And they start knocking on doors down their street, yelling at everybody, you know, get out, move towards the Citadel, we're under attack, things like that. Very cautiously, you see the heads of glasses Lorelai and you poke up behind where they've been hiding. That was good, you three should
1: always do that when we are in battle. Let's go!
0: They all move out of their various hiding spots. Glasses has a little mechanical contraption on legs that is skittering along behind him. It looks like a little baby cannon with legs on it. That is deeply horrifying. I think it's sort of cute. It's one of my new projects. It shoots force magic at people whenever I tell it to. Anyway, let's go. And he loops an arm around Lorelei's shoulder and leads her up the street behind you as his awful little cannon skitters along behind you. (laughs) Haha, I'll make a super difficult encounter if I don't roll well on that d20, I said. It's gonna cause a lot of damage to the party, I said.
1: Look, it's nobody else's fault that you forgot that your cleric has an ability, man.
0: And that's fair.
1: The five of you keep moving up through the city of Pearlport towards the Citadel. It's getting on nighttime at this point. The sunset was probably about an hour ago by the time you get up to the citadel so things are winding down what are you doing
0: uh moving into the main citadel building as quickly as possible and demanding to speak to somebody with authority
1: i think they have stationed somebody outside the door to the conclave chambers (laughs) given what happened earlier
0: I feel bad for this person, they're just doing their job, but I am going to push past them and open the doors if I have to.
1: The Conclave of the Zephyr Isles are still in this chamber. Everybody's, like, packing up various papers and notes. There's, like, idle chit-chat going on between the seats. You walk in, and I don't think everything goes silent, but the eyes of the eldest legislator lock onto you, and she just goes, (sighs) by Demora's hammer,
0: what? Leo didn't take any damage from that combat, so he's not bleeding, but I would assume he is still very ruffled and has some ghoul blood all over him. Just looks over at this lady, kind of manic, and goes, So remember how I told you that the lives of your people were already on the line? Purport is being sacked by Australian pirates right now. What are you- Pirates, ships, swords, blood in the streets, a couple undead that we just had to kill. Do I need to elaborate further to get some fucking action out of you people? Do you have any way to, like, prove to them that this is happening? Um, uh, Mira and her husband aren't with us, are they?
1: No, they were down warning more of their neighbors.
0: Shit, let me look at my spell sheet. The only thing I've got prepared that could be used as evidence, maybe, is I've got clairvoyance, which has a range out up to a mile. It just has to be a place I've seen before that I could put up a sensor to either see or hear. Uh, technically, the spell says that I see or hear. Is there any way that I can like use my crystal ball to show them and use it as like a focus for that?
1: Yeah, I think that's fine. I'll let you do that.
0: I cast Clairvoyance and choose the seeing option and just hold the crystal ball out to this older legislator. I'm going to set the sensor for the square where we just had that fight.
1: Images swirl and coalesce in your crystal ball. Ghoul bodies strewn across the road, the body of the necromancer that you killed... The citizens of Pearlport running around, knocking on doors, waking each other up, and trying to evacuate. And this older legislator brings one hand, it is like trembling a little bit, up to her
0: mouth, and goes, Oh, shite. Not here to say I told you so. Here to say that we need to do something about this.
1: Why would- What do they want?
0: Given my knowledge of the overarching political situation, me dead, my sister in custody, and given my knowledge of defiance, Pearlport. She's a big political player with big ambitions. Getting to take the city as collateral would probably be her dream scenario. You watch this older woman's
1: jaw set very firmly, and she says, Well... That's not going to fucking happen.
0: Leo looks over at her with a good bit of admiration, nods, and says, First thing we've agreed on all day, legislator. I am enchanted to hear your proposition of how we're going to prevent it from happening.
1: There are just, like, murmurings as various legislators all start talking to each other. After a pause, someone from further up in the risers clears their throat and in Aquin says, Legislator. The net. This older woman goes, That's... And she reaches up to grab at something under her shirt that you can't really see. That's not a bad idea. She gets up from her table and starts walking around it. She looks at the other legislators that are down at the middle ring with her. And they all get up, start giving orders to the people higher up in the risers telling them to go warn the matrons and gather up the acolytes and start shoring up defenses and things like that. This most senior legislator looks at you and Fee and says, Well, there's a reason the city of Fairport's never been taken before. Hasn't been used since the time of uh, my great-grandfather's, but we'll have to dust it off, I suppose. She pulls a chain out from under her shirt, and on it you see a big, egg-sized gem, and from behind you, Fee inhales sharply. And then this elder legislator curls one hand around this gem and says, Right. You two seem like strapping young people. You mind escorting an old woman through this chaos?
0: Uh, what part of there are very violent pirates directly outside was not being conveyed clearly? She narrows her eyes at you.
1: Aye, that's why I'm asking you two to come along. (sighs)
0: Why the hell not? Fee? you game?
1: Uh, sure, where are we- where are we going? And this older legislator is already walking past you?
0: No idea, let's go.
1: As this older legislator heads out through the foyer over her shoulder, she says, The security system that I'm hoping to invoke was built by Demara when she built the rest of the city. The woman wasn't known for overcomplicating things, but thought it'd be best if there was more than one component to something that's as potentially dangerous as this. So one, she left with she raises the gem again and kinda wiggles it as she's stepping around the big portal stone in the foyer. And the other she left with the, uh, religious authorities at the time. Obviously things have evolved and changed since then, but... She's reaching the front door of the citadel by now, so she makes a gesture, like, leftwise, and she says, The old Powerport temple is within walking distance. I like to keep my head on my shoulders, though, so I appreciate the, uh, company.
0: Yeah, sure, back out into the streets, teeming with violent pirates, as previously discussed. Awesome, let's go. This legislator
1: leads you and Fee out of the Citadel, down the street. She seems to know exactly where she's going, but you can hear the fighting approaching up the streets. She just leads you through the Citadel campus and off of it, down a side street, around a corner, to... A Stormfolk Temple. It's not a particularly grand one. It's pretty small and, like, visibly ancient. She leads you into this square in front of it, nods to herself, and says, Just need to talk to a couple people and pick up a thing or two from in there, and then we can get this started.
0: And everybody roll initiative. God damn it. Twelve.
1: All right, gets a 17 and the pirates are going to roll as a group, so they're going to get a 19 and the elder legislator gets negative two to dex, but she rolled a 16, so it's a 14. As your eyes kind of adjust to the level of light in the square, you see there is an Australian pirate with a sword out trying to ram the doors. Of this temple and there are three other pirates kind of spread out around the front steps of it and they see you and all four of them rolled higher initiative than fee leo or the legislator so things are about to get interesting
0: <laughs> can we at least establish our positions before they come after us yeah absolutely Okay, I'm going to grab Fee and pull both of us in front of the legislator so that they can't get at her without having to go around us.
1: The pirate on the door is going to stay there. The other three are going to run up on the three of you. One's going to run up on you, Leo. One's going to run up on Fee, and one's going to like dodge around her to go for the legislator. Shit. So I'm going to roll for this pirate on the door. The mechanic for the door is that he needs to do a minimum of 20 damage at once to break it down. Rolled an at one. Door does not break this round. So now it's time for the other pirates. (laughs) First is the one on you, Leo. He's gonna make two longsword attacks. 14 and a 12.
0: Leo goes full rogue mode again and dodges out of the way of both. But as a reaction,
1: his friend next to Fee is going to use his shape up ye dog ability to let him <laughs> re-roll one of those.
0: I'm sorry, I get that this is a bad situation, but I cannot take it seriously that these NPCs have something called shape up ye dog as a feature.
1: That's what it's called, that's the name of the feature. Uh anyway. It would be really funny if this hits right now. That one. <laughs> now it's time for the one that's up on Fee. Those are both going to hit. The lowest one is an 18. Fee's armor class is a 16. So that's 2d10 plus 10 damage. 21. And then the one that's up on the legislator is going to roll. And Fee is going to impose disadvantage because of her shield. Which is good because one of those was an at twenty. But with an 18, that attack is still gonna hit, and I'm gonna roll the second one without disadvantage, because she can only do it once per turn. It's a 21, that's also gonna hit. Twenty-two damage on the legislator. And then we are finally past all the pirates and at Fee's turn. So Fee is going to first of all do a lay on hands on the legislator. For all that she's worth, which is 5 hit points. And then she's going to do a Quickened Spell and cast a 5th level Witch Bolt on the pirate in front of the legislator. That's a 17, which is going to hit, so that's 5d12 damage. And I'm going to use Empowered Spell, so that's one more Sorcery Point. Fee is running low on this. 44 damage. Huh. All right, well, he's looking very rough. <laughs> On a scale from 1 to 45, <laughs> he's at a 1 right now. <laughs> and that is quite literally every single thing that Fee can do, so it's Leo's turn.
0: <laughs> As a free action, Leo turns over to Fee and yells, You get these clowns, I've got the door. And then he is going to move 20 feet forward to be within a 30-foot range of the door. That is going to mean he's going to take an opportunity attack from the pirate that's next to him. It's alright. He rolled a 9. I'm going to run up to be within 30 feet of the door. And I'm going to cast Guardian of Faith in the doorway directly in front of the pirate that's trying to get in.
1: Remind me. Does a creature that's in the spell's range when it spawns roll a deck save when the spell spawns, or on their next turn?
0: First time it enters the effect, so yes, he is going to have to roll a deck save. And clarify for me, you're casting it right in front of the door? Would that affect anyone that is on the other side of the door? I am allowed to specify creatures that take damage. I can specify when casting the spell that it is only going to attack these pirates. Oh damn,
1: okay, I'll make that deck save. That's a nat 20.
0: That's okay. The way Guardian of Faith works is that it does either an automatic 20 or an automatic 10 damage to creatures that it's specified to attack. So he's still going to take 10 damage. And if he starts his turn in the spell again, which he will, he's going to have to roll it again. And then I have an idea. I want to run it by you as a DM. Okay. Per my rogue stuff, with my dual wielding that I do, I do get an offhand bonus action attack. I just cannot add my proficiency bonus to the attack roll when I rolled a hit. Can I drop this spell and then whip around and chuck Kimroll's blade at this guy that's up on the legislator that has one hit point?
1: You can certainly try.
0: Eleven. I don't do it.
1: Yeah, that's not gonna hit. It's the legislator's turn. She's going to take a dodge action so that the next attack made on her has disadvantage. And then it's the pirates again. The one in the door is going to make another deck save because he starts his turn in range of the guardian of faith. It's a 17. He does it. 10 damage. And then he is going to stumble back from the glowing shield and sword of your guardian of faith, emblazoned with the symbol of Kemeral the Lord of Bones. (laughs) Understandably alarming for him. And then he's going to whip around and he is going to run at you down the steps. And he's going to get up into your space and make two longsword attacks. Neither of those hit. His friends are going to use their shape up ye dog <laughs> reactions though to let him re roll. Uh, that's an 18. And then a second one of his buddies is also going to do that. That one's going to hit too. So that's going to be 2d10 plus 10 damage. But that's only 12. Did you roll
0: two ones right now? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, so I'm guessing Leo is still dodging pretty well, but just takes a couple swipes.
1: And then the second pirate, who was already engaged with you, is going to run back up on you. And because the first one is flanking, he gets advantage on both of these longsword attacks. So, first one, that's gonna do it, that's 23. And the second one, that's a 16, that's just gonna hit. Okay, so, 2d10 plus 10. That's gonna be 20 damage.
0: Ow, that didn't feel good.
1: Third pirate is still up on fee, so he's gonna roll two longsword attacks.
0: Oh no!
1: Well, one of those is a nat twenty, and I'm I I have to. The monsters know what they're doing. I have to. The fourth pirate who has one hit point left is going to use one of his shape uppy dogs abilities to let the other guy reroll the second attack. That's going to hit. So that's going to be a total of three d10 plus ten damage.
0: Ugh. Oh my god! Thirty-five damage. <sighs> Fuck, man, this isn't good. How is Fee looking?
1: Not awesome. She is still standing. She is heavily bloodied.
0: <sighs> and I threw my fucking spell focus across the square and lost it. Okay, okay, okay.
1: And Fee's gonna use her reaction to use her hellish rebuke because she hasn't done that yet today. Sophie, heavily bloodied, bears her teeth at this pirate, and her hair starts to, like, lift up as static electricity crackles in it, and he's gonna make a dex save. That's not gonna do it, so he's gonna take 3d10 damage. And then she's gonna use Empowered Spell to reroll that. So that's gonna be a total of 20 damage. And then it's the fourth pirate, who is going to roll... One disadvantaged attack on the legislator and one on Fee because Fee is proving to be a bigger threat than the legislator is. So it's going to hit Fee, but not the legislator, which is good. So Fee takes a further 12 damage. And then it's Fee's turn. She is looking extremely rough, but she is still standing with two hit points. So she is going to grab the legislator and she is going to cast Thunderstep. Since they are both within 10 feet, both of these pirates are going to make
0: con saves. Neither of them do it. From where he is getting carved up by swords across the square, Leo puts both hands in the air and cheers. <laughs> and Fi teleports up
1: right next to the door of the temple with the legislator, right into the range of the Guardian of Faith. Uh, so I'm going to roll the damage for both of those pirates. That's 4d10 because I cast it at 4th level. Fee's going to use a sorcery point and do an empowered spell. 32 damage for both of the pirates that Fee left behind. So both of these pirates are dead. Fee and the legislator are up next to the door within the range of the Guardian of Faith. The legislator is going to use a free action to call to be led inside and is going to take the dodge action. And then it is Leo's
0: turn. Okay, uh, the only way out of this, functionally, is for me to take an opportunity attack, and I am flanked on both sides, so that's gonna be advantage all the way down, but I am running to get in the range of the Guardian.
1: You're only gonna take one opportunity attack because the second pirate already used his reaction, but it is with advantage, so just let me roll it. Even with advantage, that's only a 12.
0: Leo dodges the swipe with the sword and runs off with a middle finger held up over his shoulder up into the range of the Guardian of Faith with Fee and the legislator. Um, what is it to zap my knife back with the bracer, action-wise? That is a bonus action. Okay, I'm gonna use my bonus action because I didn't use my cunning action yet. So I'm going to zap my knife back, and then for my action, I am going to cast a 4th level Cure Wounds on Fee. Fee gets 24 hit points back.
1: Alright, and that's Leo's turn, so we're back at the top with the pirates. These pirates are both going to run up after you up the steps, so they're both going to make dex saves. That is a 4 and a 14, neither of
0: them does it. Okay, so they both take 20 damage each, and then the Guardian of Faith disappears because it has done its 60 damage that it's capable of doing.
1: Alright, so the first one's going to roll two attacks on Leo. That's a 22 and a 16, they're both going to hit. So 2d10 plus 10 damage. 19. And then the other one's going to roll two attacks on Fee. Those are both going to hit. 2d10 plus 10. But that's 15 damage. And then it's Fee's turn because the other two are dead. So she's going to cast a third level Witch Bolt. That's a 27. That'll do it for sure. So that's 3d12 damage. I'm going to use this sorcery point to reroll some of those. That is 25 damage exactly. So Fee just exactly kills the pirate in front of her with a Witch Bolt legislator's taking the dodge action again and then it is leo's turn
0: okay we've got one pirate left i am not willing to miss on any of my roll to hit spells so i'm casting a fourth level blight he's gonna need to roll me a con save
1: all right that's a 15 so he's not gonna save
0: Blight's not technically a touch range spell, but Leo is gonna stab this dude with Kimrel's blade for 43 necrotic damage, and it is a dehydrating, wasting spell.
1: Yuck, and this dude uh, only had five hit points left, so... (laughs) Yeah, I think this pirate just turns to dust in front of you and just melts around your knife. Ew. And with that, we're out of initiative. The legislator runs into the temple. I don't know what Leo's doing, but Fee is going to exchange a couple spell slots for sorcery points.
0: Leo's actually going to dump all of his remaining spell slots into cure wounds on Fee and himself to try to get them up as high as he can. So, hold on guys, we're gonna do a lot of math.
1: Okay, since we didn't have time for a short rest, we went ahead and... Did everything we could with spell slots. Leo has zero spell slots left, but Fee is up to 57 hit points and Leo is up to 76, which is almost full for both of them. And Fee has switched around her sorcery points and her spell slots in such a way that her sorcery points are all the way back up to full and she has one fourth level and one fifth level spell slot left.
0: Leo, standing there with absolutely no spell slots left, exhausted, panting, and still a little bloody, looks up at Fee and goes,
1: That sucked. Yeah, it wasn't good. I'm not happy with where we're at right now. And as she's saying that, this elder legislator comes back out of this temple, dragging a middle aged Stormfolk woman by the elbow. She looks a bit nervous, which is reasonable because people were pounding on the doors of the temple. She adjusts her glasses, and the legislator says, Right! Off we go! You can still hear the sounds of the fighting getting closer. You hustle back through the streets to the Citadel, moving away from that noise. As you enter the foyer of the Citadel, the legislator says to this woman that she dragged out of the temple, Last, we'll have to get this time down as exactly as we can. And then she turns to you and Fi, and she says, If one of you wouldn't mind looking over her shoulder and telling me exactly when I need to put the stone in, I'd appreciate that.
0: Uh, it's, how, how would we know? I, I wouldn't know when to tell anybody anything.
1: This younger but still middle-aged woman says, Ah, well, I've only got to carve the one word into the tablet, so... And she pulls a flat clay tablet out of a pocket. And a little stone stylus, and she looks at the both of you, squints, and says, "Do either of you know how to read archaic Aquin, Or,
0: I sure don't. Fee,
1: Fee kind of wiggles a hand and says, "I'm passable. I've I put a lot of effort into it." And the legislator says, "That will have to do, lass." Fee stands over the shoulder of this middle-aged woman, and the legislator says. Lad, if you could watch the door, we'd appreciate it.
0: Legislator, I will do my best. (laughs) I stand in the door, and because I only have cantrips, I summon up a sacred flame into my hand and just get ready if anybody's coming at us.
1: You hear very faint noises of stone etching into clay. You hear a little stone-on-stone noise, and the portal stone behind your feet. Starts to glow and pulse with this swirling blue energy.
0: Oh, I remember what happened last time it did that. I don't feel good about this. Uh, I get that I'm supposed to be watching the door, but because he's so uneasy about the whole situation, Leo is going to take one quick look behind him.
1: You see the legislator kneeling in the center of this portal stone. With the big gem that was on the chain around her neck plugged into the center of it. And you watch this swirling magic hit the scratched out, edged over runes in the portal stone and stop and recoil. It starts trying to move anti-clockwise, and the magical energy starts to swirl the other way. And it stops again and starts to go again. You watch it ping-ponging and building, and you watch as it slowly starts to rise off of the portal stone and coalesce, and then it shoots past you out the door. This shimmering blue energy in this huge pulse shoots out and then starts to spread throughout the city. And as it spreads, it does start to look like a net. It just spreads and sinks over the city. And from where you are at the door, you can see through the campus a lot of those big, almost featureless stone statues that you saw on your way up start to shift. The consistency of them changes, is the best way I can put it. They are carved from this glowing stone that the majority of the city of Herport is shaped from. But as you watch them, they don't melt, but they become fluid. One of the nearest statues jerks and takes a step off of the plinth that it's on. It raises one hand. And a spear of glowing light appears in that raised hand. It shifts its stance, grabs the spear with the other hand, and starts walking forward. And slowly, all of the statues, as they are hit with this magical energy from this repurposed portal stone, all of them start to repeat this gesture as they step down, grab their spears, and get to work. And they all start walking towards the fighting. You can see stretching down the streets, more statues doing this further in the city. And you think of how many you've seen since you got to Pearlport. And you think Defiance's fleet is about to be in trouble.
0: Leo, from his position, guarding the door, watches all of this happen. Blinks slowly. All right, well, that seems useful. Feet, you're all standing in this big open foyer to the Citadel for a while. In the distance, you can hear the sounds of fighting. For a moment, you hear them intensify and then die down. And then civilians just start pouring in. People from all over the city start making their way onto the Citadel campus, seeking refuge moving in beyond these big double doors. In the moonlight, with a flash of lightning coming down from the sky as the storm moves in, you see light flash off of a long shock of red hair. And about five seconds later, the captain and Sabine storm in through these open doors. They both look beat the captain is bleeding freely from a really deep cut on his shoulder he takes three big striding steps into the foyer of the citadel and goes you know i don't know why i thought i could just ask for something to be allegory one time one time for something to not have fucked up magic about it
1: hello dear good to see you're alive
0: He pauses mid-rant, looks down at the wound on his shoulder, and then waggles his eyebrows at you. Ah, you should see the other guys. At any rate, Sabine's been doing a lot of philosophizing about why this isn't, and I quote, a sustainable situation. So, I'll let her explain that. Sabine runs a hand back through her hair. You can see that she has a big burn down one of her forearms right below her bracers. And says, um... Yes, the intervention of the statues is definitely helping, but we have to figure that the best-case scenario here is a siege situation, and that's not going to play out well for Pearlport. Even if we get everybody from the city up here and get them safe, there's not much stopping the Australian pirate fleet from absolutely laying waste to the city's infrastructure. All of the food stores, all of everything that's been put in place for storm season. It could all be gone within a day. Okay.
1: We need to get them away from the city. We need to- (sighs) What do we do? Does, Does anyone- does anyone have a plan? I would wait out there and take care of it myself, but I have two good spells left in me, maybe?
0: Next to you, Leo just leans up against a pillar and sighs. And I've got less than that. I think our only answer right now is that we need at least a little bit to rest and get a bit of strength back so we have a chance of fighting, right?
1: Fee looks over at the elder legislator and says, if we take a couple hours to rest, are most of the people going to be able to get here and get safe, or are things a bit more urgent than that?
0: This older lady purses her lips and looks like she's mulling it over for a second. Well, preservation of the lives of Pearlport is what the nets here for. I think that most of the people will be able to get up to the Citadel in that time, but... And she nods over at Sabine. The lass has the right of it, though. If they don't have people to kill, they'll start burning storehouses. They'll start taking out everything we've had saved up for storm season. It won't be good either way. Well, we hit not good about three hours ago, so this is harm reduction now, and I
1: am too keyed up to trance, but I know I need to, and that's very frustrating for me.
0: As you are saying that, and Leo is opening his mouth to start agreeing with you, you are both cut off by the sound of absolute hell being raised across the foyer. You hear the sounds of shouting, lots of people talking over each other. As you turn around to inspect the source of the ruckus, you see that most of the senior officers of the crew have just come through the front doors of the Citadel. Several of them look a little beat up. Boots and Pelican both look like they've taken a couple licks. But standing at the front of the pack is a completely unharmed doc who has a state service member by the front of his gray robes and is shaking him like a maraca. This man is stammering out some excuse for something, and she starts shaking him harder? Now you listen here, you little shit! I don't care if your name is Doctor now! My medical license might be expired, but my state service vows most certainly are not! And I don't remember you being so concerned about my medical qualifications when I was patching up your broken arm when you were a wee lad! This can only end in tears if he's gonna go over there. Doc's rattling of this young man is only increasing in intensity as you move over there? And behind you, you hear the captain go, Uh oh. And he falls into step beside you and reaches out to put a hand on Doc's shoulder. Doc, I understand your frustration, but you don't want to give the young man a concussion. We've got enough wounded here as it is. She snaps her head around to glare at the captain. Aye, so we do, which is why this Egypt's trying to deny me entrance to the hospital wing is a brand of foolishness previously unknown to mankind. She still has her fist tangled up in this young man's robes. And he just kind of puts his hands up like, what are you going to do? But the protocol states. The captain takes a step behind Doc so she can't see him anymore and just shakes his head at this guy in a warning gesture. The guy blinks for a second and then nods and takes a step back. Doc lets him go and then moves to charge past him up a hallway. And as she goes, the captain yells after her. If you wouldn't mind getting something to help us, uh... Get 40 wings in, Doc, that'd be great. She just waves a hand at him over her shoulder as she goes. Sabine comes trotting over after a couple more seconds, with her eyebrows raised very high on her forehead. Everything okay over here? Fee grimaces and says,
1: Ah, apparently some people are very keen on forcing Doc back into retirement.
0: The captain fully laughs. I asked her about that once, you know. She told me that she'd consider retiring when she's dead. Don't think that's gonna happen. Everybody's kind of milling around nervously in this foyer for a couple more minutes before Doc comes back down, still looking supremely perturbed, but she has a big medical kit in one hand and a handful of glass vials in the other. She comes over and starts doling them out to you, Leo, the captain, Sabine, a couple members of the crew that look like they've been a little beat up as well. Right, the pharmacy wasn't stocked as well as I would have preferred, but this will put you all under for about two hours. Won't be a full night's trance, but enough to get you back on your feet. So mechanically, what's going to have to happen is everybody here pretty desperately needs a long rest to recover several abilities that have been burned up. If you take this sleeping drop and go under for this two hours, you will get all of your spell slots and other class abilities back, as if you have taken a long rest, but you are not gonna recover any hit points. You can try to find some time after you get up to short rest some of them back with your hit dice, but you're not gonna be getting them back automatically.
1: Okay, this is gonna suck. Uh, I take the sleeping drop.
0: Leo's going to as well. I think you two find a little patch of wall on one far side of the foyer and sit down, pop the corks off these vials, bottoms up. As is the case with most medicine Doc has ever given you, it takes effect very quickly. You immediately feel very drowsy. Leo is a little bit more of a lightweight than you and goes out like a light. His head drops onto your shoulder. You kind of fight it for a couple seconds, just unfamiliar with the feeling of the medicine. The last thing you feel is Sabine coming to sit down beside you with a little jingle. And the weight of a blue brocade frock coat being draped over you like a blanket. And then you are out. So, Leo,
1: you wake up to the feeling of what you instinctively think is the worst hangover you've ever had in your fucking life, which is saying something. You feel extremely groggy, your head hurts, you have just a lot of pain all over your body. It takes you a second to kind of piece together what's going on, and then you remember... Oh, right. I fought a bunch of pirates a couple hours ago and got stabbed more than once. (laughs) Fee is kind of curled up against your side under the captain's coat with Sabine's head in her lap and the captain on Sabine's other side with the hat over his face. You are the first one awake, but everyone else is starting to stir. What would you like to do?
0: I'm gonna try to nudge Fee awake and get her up and lucid as fast as possible. Okay, morning, sunshine. We need to figure out what we're doing next. The groggily sits up, puts a
1: hand up to her head and goes, Right, thinking. Thinking is a thing that we do. (sighs) Why the fuck did I wake you up first? Sabine. Sabine. (laughs) Sabine startles awake like all of a sudden, shoots up out of fee's lap, brings a hand up with a knife in it to try to stab anybody that's too close to her, Accidentally elbows the captain in the face, and he startles awake. Also has a knife. There's a pause, a moment of silence. The captain and Sabine look at each other sideways, and then Sabine smooths her hair down and goes, "Ah, uh, yes. What? Can I help you? Ow, my head."
0: And behold, everybody, the crack team of heroes that's going to save the city of Pearlport. Defiance doesn't stand a chance. <laughs> Anyway, things are going to get logistically very bad if we don't put a stop to this. We're looking at potentially a siege situation, no matter what. I don't want to be the one to say this, but I think we need to play ball with Defiance at this point. There's too many people's lives on the line if we don't. Fee
1: kind of raises a finger and says, I don't know if we can find a compromise between she would like us to be dead and we would like to not be dead.
0: I would remind you, however unpleasant it is to do so, that her primary goal is not all of us being dead, Fee.
1: Oh, right. Let me correct myself. Her primary goal is you being dead, which I'm not willing to compromise on. Is that better? Is that more accurate?
0: (sighs) Just for once, I wish you would make things about yourself, just in your head, internally. Her primary goal is getting you back on her boat and getting you either to Australia or to wherever the secondary location she has in mind is. If her goal hinges on you being alive, we can go try to ostensibly make the drop and, well, then play dirty, to put it mildly.
1: Sabine kind of tilts her head to the side and she goes, well, I like the idea of the bait and switch. Um, hmm. It's risky, but. And she nods at Fee and says, I think you could
0: take her. Thank you for complimenting my strategic prowess, Sabine. It means a lot, but we're not sending Fee in there alone.
1: Oh, absolutely not. I'm just saying if things get dicey, I think Fee is the best equipped of the four of us to stall for time, we'll say.
0: All right, I need a couple minutes with my prayer book, and I think I can whip up a spell that will put us in contact with uh, that woman. I'll let you know what I'm able to get worked out, diplomatically speaking.
1: Sabine takes out what looks to be like a book of notations and then says, I could think of a few things that could maybe help us out. The captain kind of raises a hand and goes, I think we're all forgetting that defiance has a bit of magical firepower
0: of our own. Cool. Evil lady has magic. Love to hear that. That's a great thing to hear. I'll I'll be back. (laughs) I go sulk somewhere with my prayer book and prepare my spells for the day, making sure to prepare a sending spell in there.
1: Slowly, the rest of the crew all kind of wake up around the foyer. You have a sending spell, your spells are prepared. What are you doing?
0: Okay, I'm gonna try to get this wrapped up with as little casting as possible. I'm going to send a sending spell to Defiance. I get 25 words, and she gets 25 words back. The message says, You've made your point. What are your demands? We're willing to comply if you're willing to spare a pearl port."
1: There is a long pause, and... You get a sending spell back from Defiance that says, If you're both on my ship by sunrise, my sailors go back to their ships, and all of this stops. I'm anchored outside the harbor.
0: Uh, I don't like burning another third-level slot, but I can't take that at face value. Okay, I send another sending spell. The message says, Am I supposed to just take you at your word? I'm not a fool. How do I know that if we comply, you won't continue attacking?
1: Hmm. You have free passage to the docks. Once my sailors see you leaving, they'll follow. How's that sound?
0: Okay, I'm headed back to Fee, the captain, and Sabine. Wherever they are, whatever they're doing.
1: They're still just on the other side of the
0: foyer. Okay, so after a very unpleasant magical conversation with that, And Leo lets go a couple choice terms in Elvish that cannot and should not be translated into common tongue. I have been told that if we are on her ship by sunrise, which is anchored outside the harbor, that everything here stops. Not an ideal situation, tactically. Sabine, I think you can agree with me on this.
1: Oh no, if we had any other choice, I would be, uh, taking that in a heartbeat. But we don't, so this is what we've got.
0: Well, I think we all agree that we're going to fight. We need to be ready for a fight on her turf and her terms. The captain says,
1: it's not ideal. The Banshee's not exactly familiar to any of us, and there's not a lot of room to move around on it, comparatively.
0: Uh, Okay, yeah. Leo runs a hand back through his hair, still fighting the headache from whatever sleeping draught he took. Fee, Sabine, you want to go tell everybody else what we're thinking of doing? Captain, you and I will go inform the powers that be, see if we can get a leg up anyway.
1: The captain's gonna head off with you. Sabine, like, gets Fee by the elbow and toes her off, and they start informing the crew of what's going on. So, where are you
0: going? I'm going to get the captain by the elbow and squeeze very hard in a way that non-verbally says, Behave yourself, you bastard. And then I am going to go try to find the elder legislator that came out with us to get the tablet.
1: You can hear noise coming from the big conclave chamber. Clearly, most of the members of the conclave have not slept. They have been trying to coordinate getting the entire population of the city situated and safe they all look very stressed and very tired (laughs) none more so than the eldest legislator who is bleeding still because she took some damage in that combat she has a big slice in her arm that is like bandaged up and it is clearly her dominant arm because she has someone else writing on a piece of paper for her nobody looks up when you come in like they are all very focused.
0: I'm going to come up as quietly and respectfully as I can and just go to tap her on the shoulder. And as I do that, I am going to cast a first level cure wounds. So she does get 15 hit points back. Leo says, legislator, if you have a minute.
1: She relaxes a little bit as you heal up her arm and then looks at you and blinks and goes, I suppose I have... Well, not a minute, but a moment.
0: We've considered the situation as wholly unsatisfying as it is, and have been in touch with Vice Admiral Defiance. We've worked... something out. Her demands are that my sister and I are on her ship by sunup. She didn't get much more specific than that, so we intend to... Take our liberties with those demands, if you catch my drift. And Leo drops one hand down to his knife. The social legislator
1: looks at your knife, looks at you, and the captain, blanks, and goes, You can't just go to face her. That's suicide. You have no idea what you'll be sailing into. The captain next to you says, I'll do respect, legislator. I never do. If Keeva'd like to take me, that's her prerogative. But what I don't intend to do is stay up here and be slaughtered like an animal. And then he does a clipped little bow and says, Begging your pardon. And then he walks out.
0: Leo blinks and gives the legislator a long-suffering look. My apologies. I I can't take him anywhere. At any rate, is there any way that you could facilitate us getting expedient and safe passage down to the docks? Defiance has offered us safety, but I'm less than inclined to believe her.
1: The legislator frowns and says, Ah, there are hidden escape routes out of the Citadel, but no one's used them for their intended purpose in millennia now, and she kind of quirks a little smile and says, It's been a while since I was young enough to use them for shenanigans and chicanery, so... I suppose you could ask one of the acolytes.
0: Understood. Thank you for listening and for all your help. Here's hoping we meet again under better circumstances. She raises
1: her eyebrows, nods, and says, Thank you for not letting pirates drop my head off. Fair winds and fair skies.
0: I go to find you. Absolutely.
1: Uh, You is in the foyer.
0: Leo pulls her off to the side really quick and looks around to make sure that nobody else is watching. Hey, so you seem like somebody that got up to a lot of shit in early adolescence. Do you know where the secret passages out of here are? Uh, let me roll history for you.
1: That <laughs> <Not> one. <laughs> she squints at you and, like, tilts her head and goes, What secret passages?
0: Fantastic. Do you have any acolyte friends that would have maybe gotten into mischief, shenanigans, tomfoolery?
1: Well, none of us exactly advertised it to each other, but my girlfriend works in the library and she can't keep her nose out of anything.
0: Best bet we have, we need to go find her now.
1: You nods and confidently walks off. (laughs) Leads you down a couple of hallways into a side building off the main citadel that has a bunch of just doors with, like, various numbers on them. And she unceremoniously opens one. There's the sound of several groggy acolytes very upset at having light led into their room. Yu says, wait there. And then she walks in. After a minute, she walks out towing her girlfriend by the arm. Her girlfriend is just like rubbing her eyes, going, Love, I was trying to take my trance. What the fuck is going on? Uh, well, the city's under attack for one. There's a pause. You's girlfriend looks at you just baffled. And from inside the room
0: that she and you just came out of, a voice goes, The hell do you mean the city's under attack? Australian pirates, big evil lady with a big evil ship, long story, we're getting ready to shut it down, you guys should all just go back to bed. Except for you, my friend, and Leo points over at you's girlfriend. In order to stop said attack on the city, we are in desperate need of somebody that knows any of the secret passages out of the Citadel. Because, as I said, streets teeming with pirates, very dangerous, you're all safe. But uh, we won't be as soon as we go outside. I'm going to roll advantaged history for you's
1: girlfriend real quick. Highest one was a 19. She gets plus eight. That's a 27. Her posture straightens and she goes, all right, which direction are you going in? The docks? Oh, yeah. The quickest one down there will be under the loose floor toil by the mess. You kind of blinks and goes, what loose floor toil? Her girlfriend says, the one that has the chip out of it after the chromatic orb incident of uh, 50 years ago, you know? And you goes, oi! Alright, alright, alright. I know where that is. She looks at you, Leo, and says, I'll go get the others. I can lead them
0: there. Okay, see you there.
1: And Yu's girlfriend leads you away out of the main Citadel building and to a big, kind of open-ceilinged mess hall. and. Sure enough, out like right in front of it, she gestures to a big like stone floor tile and she says, You might help me with this? It's a mite heavy.
0: Leo flexes his arms that are very much still atrophied from his battle with a wasting disease the better part of a year ago and goes, Yeah, sure. You know, maybe you should have brought you with you for this one, but I'll do my best.
1: Okay, go ahead and roll me uh, advantage athletics. <laughs>
0: Sixteen. I reach deep down within myself and find my strength. It was a
1: DC-12, you're fine. Yeah, you managed to heft this floor tile with Yuve's girlfriend's help. And sure enough, there is what appears to be a drop into some kind of tunnel under this floor tile. Cool,
0: I'm waiting for everyone to get back.
1: A few minutes later, Fee, the Captain, Sabine, the other officers of the crew walk up. The captain stops, blinks, and says, Why in the fuck didn't I know about this? That would have made my adolescence much simpler and easier. I had to make a bedsheet rope, like a gentleman.
0: It's a very grim situation, but Leo does do finger guns at him and go, Hey! <laughs> Same.
1: <laughs> the captain does, like, one quick finger gun back at you, still looking down at the passage. And he says, We can all reminisce over our teenage exploits, uh, later. Let's go. And I think she just hops down into the hole. I hop
0: in after her. Fee, this passage you find yourself in is clearly ancient and pretty dark. It's carved out of the same stone that the rest of Pearlport is. You would assume that this mountain is the same kind of rock all the way down because it is softly glowing, much like the rest of the city. But other than that, there is nothing to light your way, as you and your party work your way down from the Citadel towards the docks. Yu's girlfriend is up at the front of the pack, leading you. You would assume that she knows where she's going. It's not a horribly narrow passage. You can walk two to three people shoulder to shoulder through here, and you find Sabine falling into step next to you. It's a pretty quiet journey, everybody seems pretty wrapped up in their own thoughts, but after a while, she turns over to you, jingling softly as she moves along. So, I I hate to be the one to bring it up, and I hate to be the one to suggest it even more, but my point from earlier still stands. We should try to take her alive. If she goes missing in the Zephyr Isles, we know what the result is going to be. We either need to take Defiance or her body back to Vogveldor with us, and put the responsibility for it on ourselves.
1: Yes, I absolutely agree. I don't want to give my father any more excuses to be horrible. But I think she's too dangerous to take alive.
0: Then we need to brace ourselves for responsibility for her death. And in order for that to work out the way we need it to, I think we need to be honest about it. And that needs to be the truth. So she takes a fleeting look up to the front of the pack where Leo and the captain are very close behind you and her girlfriend. Several members of the crew are between all of you. Sabine grits her teeth and shakes her head for a second. You know what he's going to try. And if he does, we need to stop him. He can't kill her.
1: Agreed. She kind of looks sideways at Sabine and says, I think it should be me. My father wants me alive and... I think he still wants me to be his successor. He doesn't have anyone else. So I would face the least consequences in the worst case scenario.
0: I don't know that we'll have the ability to be that picky about it, Fee. But if it comes down to it, it needs to be you, me, Laeril. She can't die by stormfolk hands. And we have to be able to prove that. Absolutely. I would say that I have a bad feeling about this, but that would just be bad for morale at this point. Don't jinx it. (laughs) (laughs) Fucking Kimrel's teeth. Sabine's a little hysterical as she kind of brings both hands up to press to her temples. This was all so much easier when my primary objective was murdering my husband. I can't wait for this to be over with. And she pushes past you and just keeps walking. But at least we're
1: having more fun along the way, dear.
0: She stops and raises a hand as if she's getting ready to make a counterpoint, but then clenches her fist and moves forward again. (laughs) This passage winds on for miles. You're walking for quite a while, But eventually, Yu's girlfriend up at the head of the pack puts up a hand for everybody behind her to stop and moves aside a big, heavy stone at the end of it. And you find yourself overlooking the docks. You're up on a ledge sort of over where all of these ships are docked. Many of them are burning. A lot of the stormfolk vessels that were docked down here have been totally sacked by these Australian pirates, but off in the distance, weirdly, you see that the ship is still docked untouched. You're a little too far away to see detail, but you can see that the crew seems to be amassed on the deck, weapons drawn, ready to keep people off of it if they decide to attack. Use girlfriend steps to the side as you all exit. Right, uh, that's the end of the passage. I guess I'll just be headed back now. She looks really sad. And from a couple people away from you, you hear Yu's voice pipe up very sharply. Come with us. The captain's head snaps to the side and he goes, You! This acolyte's eyes go very wide and she takes a step back. I, I, I can't just leave. I've got my job. I've got people that I need to take care of. And Yu immediately snaps back. You took care of people tonight by breaking the rules. You can keep doing that. Come with us. Yu's gonna roll persuasion. That was a 15, which was exactly the DC for this. Yu's girlfriend stammers but then takes another couple steps forward. And the captain steps into her path. Very gently, he puts a hand on her shoulder and squeezes, but then shakes his head. Much appreciation for your help and all due respect, sunshine, but we're getting ready to sail into uncharted waters. It'll be dangerous. And you see a big, crooked grin stretch across her face. She brings her hands up to her side, and a little amulet that she has dangling off the belt of her state service robes flashes. She casts Thaumaturgy, and the ground rumbles underneath all of your feet. And I'll respect back at you, Captain, but headed headfirst into the unknown is kind of my speciality, and I'm capable of taking care of myself. Also, sunshine. I like that. Yeah! <laughs> The captain shakes his head again, but then gives you a very weighted, we're going to talk later look, puts his hands up, and keeps walking down towards the ship. You all make your way back down to the ship, unaccosted. Most of these sailors seem to be embroiled in fights with big, huge statues that are picking people up and throwing them into walls at the moment. As you approach, you hear cheers from the crew as they see that you are all alive. Your party all reembarks back up onto the ship. You look around, you see the remainder of the crew, also the crew of the Moray. Miriam Adler is standing next to the door of the captain's quarters with her cutlass out, looking very nervous but somewhat relaxed at seeing you all alive and reasonably unharmed. The captain takes a few big, striding steps out ahead of you and hops up onto a stack of boxes next to the mast, grabbing onto it for support as he turns around to address the rest of the crew. Right, everyone. We're sailing out to meet the Banshee. You all know what that means. It's not a smart idea, but it's the best one we have right now. There's going to be blood. There's going to be death. But if by our lives or deaths, we can save the city of Pearlport, we all know what we signed up for when we joined the fleet. I won't compel anyone to stay and throw their life away. But if you're with me, shout aye. And the entire crew pumps their cutlasses in the air and yells, aye. The captain puts both hands out and nods at a very grandiose gesture. All opposed, whimper nay. Silence. And then the captain just smirks, nods, jumps down off the boxes and goes, Boots, to the helm. Pelican, loose all sails. And then he looks over at Yuffie and nods. Las, let our friends out on the docks know you're here. Fee
1: grins and raises a hand, fingers crackling with static electricity as her hair begins to float off of her shoulders and says, with pleasure, and casts a lightning bolt into the air.
0: With a crackling of electricity and a bolt of thunder following it, this huge 100 foot long lightning bolt shoots up into the sky with a blast of blinding light. And as it fades, you see all of the sailors that are still down on the docks fighting, turn around, see that you have fulfilled your end of the deal, and start heading back to their ships yelling orders at the people behind them. It seems like the chain of command is going up the mountain for everybody to move back down and start getting back on their boats. Pelican jumps up into the rigging with one of his Eldritch Invocations. All of the mainsails come down. The anchor comes up. And the ship starts to move out into the harbor. You are not followed out of the harbor. You get the impression that it's gonna take this pirate fleet a long time to gather back their people and get on board their ships to follow you. So the ship is making its way unaccosted out of the harbor of Pearlport into this raging storm that is brewing out over the sea. The rain is coming down, you are wet and a little bit uncomfortable, and after a while, Leo walks over to you. He braces both hands on the railing and doesn't say anything to you for a while, but after a long pause, you watch him reach down and fuss with something on his hand for a second, and then he holds his closed fist out to you.
1: I put my hand out for him to give me whatever he's holding.
0: He opens his hand and you feel the weight of heavy metal dropping into your palm. And when you look down, you see that the signet ring of the Grand Duke of Australia is sitting there. He's not making eye contact with you. He's just looking out over the railing into the storm. And he goes, go ahead and put that on.
1: Uh, Okay. he puts
0: it on thank you for not arguing with me for once in your life and then he reaches down fusses with the bracer on his arm and the knife appears in his hand flashes with magical energy and you feel the ring around your finger also flash and glow and grow very hot and then around leo's finger you see that he is still wearing his engagement ring That Soren gave him, and it also flashes and glows, and looks like it goes very hot. Leo is casting a spell called Warding Bond on the two of you. He finishes casting, zaps the knife back into his bracer with a flash, and then finally turns over to look at you. Stay close to me. That's gonna help keep you safe, but you have to stay close to me. What the spell does... Is that as long as you stay within 60 feet of Leo, you get a plus one bonus to your AC. You are resistant to all damage. Also, each time you take damage, Leo is going to take the same amount of damage, but he is not telling you that.
1: That's just a fun thing for me to know as a player, huh?
0: Yes, it is just a fun thing for you to know as a player, but you have to remain within 60 feet of him for the spell to maintain. If you go further, the spell ends. He reaches out and claps a hand on your shoulder and squeezes. I think we should try to conserve as much of our strength as we can before everything pops off. Let's go find somewhere to sit down. I'll go try to rope the captain and Sabine into doing that as well. I might have to put the captain in a headlock. I may need your help. Uh, sure thing. Leo wanders off and after a moment comes back, leading Sabine by the elbow and with the captain's coat collar in his hand, bunched up at the base of his neck, sort of marching him across the deck. The captain keys you all into the captain's quarters. You four are going to have the opportunity to take a short rest before you make it out to where the banshee is docked, so we can use a lot of our hit die to help with our significantly reduced hit points because Fee's not doing great, Leo's not doing great, and the captain and Sabine are both down over half of their max hit points. So hang with us for a second, folks. We're going to do a lot of math. So the four of you head into the captain's quarters, find comfortable places to either sit or lay down, and take a power nap, and after using most of all of our hit die on a short rest, we are all four back up to full. By the time you are all done patching up your wounds and resting as much as you can, you hear a bell ringing out on deck. The captain sighs, gets to his feet, adjusts his hat on his head. Right, that'll be our cue
1: then. Well, I'd ask if we all feel ready, but if we waited until then, we'd be waiting forever, so. Let's go.
0: The four of you emerge back out onto the deck. The storm has worsened in the time that you've been inside, the rain is lashing down to the point that it almost hurts your skin as it impacts, and the thunder and lightning are just raging overhead. A biting wind is whipping down out of the glimmering lights of Kiva's mantle up in the clouds over your heads, and silhouetted in the flashes of lightning, you see an Australian sailing ship anchored outside the mouth of the harbor of Pearlport. The captain nods out towards it. That'd be the Banshee, the flagship of the Australian Pirate Fleet. She's small, but she's fast, and very capable of taking down bigger ships, if history is anything to go by. This isn't going to be easy. And then he turns back around over his shoulder and yells, All hands! Battle stations! The crew starts scrambling across the deck to get to where they're supposed to be, and in the chaos, you see the captain reach out two hands. One gets glasses by the back of the shirt, and one gets Lorelei by the back of the shirt. He pulls glasses in, nods down at him, and says, You stay on board with the guns. Give us all the cover fire you can. And then he turns back to Lorelei and goes, And you, lass, you get below deck. Lorelai starts to protest, and then Sabine gets the other shoulder of her shirt in her hand and goes, NOW! And shoves her down towards the door that goes below decks. The wind is still whipping, catching all of the sails, and you move further towards the Banshee. Next to you, you see Leo press his lips together into a very thin line, nod grimly. Zap his knife back into his hand and pull out the cutlass from his waist and get ready to go. Sabine flicks her wrist and a ball of fire appears in her palm. The captain hops up onto the railing of the ship, grabbing the rigging for support. The ship gets closer and closer and closer. And as you get within boarding distance and the crew starts swinging around grappling hooks and getting gangplanks ready to put over to cross onto the other ship. The captain unsheathes his cutlass and turns back around to look at where you and Sabine are standing on the deck next to him. He doesn't seem to be addressing either one of you in particular, or maybe it's that he's addressing both of you. I'm not going to say in case we lose, because that's not going to happen. But if things go sideways, if we don't all make it out of here, I love you.
1: I love you too, but I should kick your ass for entertaining the possibility that we're not all making it out of here.
0: Beside you, Sabine takes a little bit of a stumbling step back and blinks up at him. That's an extremely complicated thing for you to say, and- I don't think you would have said it if you didn't plan on dying, so I'm going to kick your ass too. We're going to unpack this later, Captain. The consequences of your actions are staring you in the face, Captain. You're going to regret being so fatalistic, Captain. The ship finally pulls up alongside the banshee, close enough for the crew to start boarding, and the captain looks down at you and Sabine, both ganging up on him. Shakes his head, looks up at the stormy sky overhead, and whispers, you hear my prayer. If you've ever had any mercy, take me now. And then swings over onto the deck. There are gangplanks being put out, but it's gonna cost you a round. You can try to make an athletics or acrobatics check to hop over. Leo is definitely gonna make the acrobatics check because he has a good modifier for it. Leo got a 21 to acrobatics, so he vaults over effortlessly and puts a hand out for you. So he's going to give you advantage on an acrobatics or athletics if you want to try to jump over.
1: That's a 21 also. Buoyed by her own natural magic and the windy ways in which it tends to manifest sometimes, he's going to hop off the deck and almost put a foot down in the middle of the space between the ships like she's stepping on air and just reach out, grab Leo's hand, swing up onto the deck.
0: With a mild thunderclap behind you, and the hem of the Gift of the Stormbringer ruffling in your wake, you land down on the planks of this deck. The crew of the Banshee has been waiting for you. What appears to be every hand on this ship is standing on the deck, swords drawn, ready for a conflict... The captain was the first person on deck, and he seems to know his way, at least in a rudimentary way, around the deck of this ship. Raises his cutlass and points it back towards the helm, and if you follow the point of his sword, you see Vice Admiral Defiance fully decked out in her fine sailor's garb, leaning casually with her forearms braced against the ship's wheel and smiling down at all of you. He snarls up at her sharp, shark-like teeth, bared. Defiance! You and I have a score to settle. There is an impact on the wood and a jingle right behind you, and Sabine lands on the deck, fire still gleaming in the palm of her hand. She nods over at the captain and says, Couldn't agree more, dear. And from up at the helm, You see Defiance reach into the oiled leather vest of her Sailor's Garb and pull out something very familiar. Fee, I'd like you to roll an advantaged Arcana check. Twelve. It was a low DC because the reason that it's familiar is sitting right in the middle of your shield in your hand. She has a sword in one hand, but with her other, she pulls out this glimmering crystal orb. And within it, you can see flashes much like your cape and your own orb that are echoing the flashes of Kiva's thunder overhead. These greens and blues and grays and purples and little flashes of static electricity shooting through it. But it looks... Wrong. It looks... Corrupted. As you're watching the electricity shoot through this crystal orb, there are ribbons of deep, void-like black that are shooting out like sick, necrotized veins across the surface. Defiance grins, uses her orb to cast Thaumaturgy, and a clap of stilted distorted sick sounding thunder makes the timbers of the ship rumble under your feet oh good I was worried that you weren't going to make this any fun everybody roll initiative and that's where we're going to end for this week Ah. Oh, shit's bad. Oh, shit's bad. Oh, shit's about to get so much worse. Next time. On Compelled Duel. Hey, everybody. Barry here with the Postscript, just clearing up a couple housekeeping things here at the end of the episode. As always, you can find us on social media. We are on Twitter, Tumblr, and TikTok, Dual. You can also find us on TikTok, Dual Audios, where we post audio snippets from the show. We have lots of other cool stuff going on, like an official website, an official Spotify profile. You can find all of that linked on all of our main social media profiles. If you're interested in supporting the podcast, we ask that you head over to patreon.com slash compelled duel and check out some of the things we have to offer. Starting at just $2 a month, you can get access to lots of cool perks like early access to episodes, access to exclusive Spotify playlists and bonus content, or even handwritten letters from your favorite character every month. If you're interested in supporting us in ways that don't involve pledging to the Patreon, if you're listening to us on Apple Podcasts, we ask that you consider leaving us a rating and a review, since that helps us grow our audience and get promoted to a wider listener base. And as always, word of mouth advertising is the best tool we have at our disposal. If you like the podcast, we ask that you just tell a couple friends about it. And if they like it as well, ask them to tell a couple friends too. We do do a weekly Q&A live stream on our YouTube channel. We would love to have you all show up and hang out for that. It's a lot of fun. Episode 17 will be going live on Friday, October 1st, 2021. Or if you are a member of the Patreon, you will be getting your early access on Thursday, September 30th. Oh boy. See y'all next week.